1: If it's social, then you really could be
2: it. You can't have what people say, it's so serious. Because you're social, you're a leader, and you're serious.
0: Now, Carrie Kerpen.
1: I am so inspired by our next guest, and I'm so excited for you to take a listen to her today. Ami Mather heads up marketing over at Honest Tea, which is part of the Coca-Cola company. You're going to hear the story of her career, which started and lasted for many, many years at P&G. She handled everything from the innovation side to the product side to the customer side. She got so much experience there and then ended up at Honest Tea, where she got to work with an entrepreneur with a great vision and learned how to incorporate that vision into the Coca-Cola company. Take a listen. Welcome, Ami, to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. And, you know, I've read a lot about your career. I've been very impressed by your career, but I would love for you to tell some of our listeners the story of how you got to where you are today.
2: Absolutely. I um, wish I could tell you it was all planned, but... It was completely all unplanned and I've fallen into a job that I absolutely love and I'm very fortunate for <laughs> all the experiences I've had. But it's funny, like I actually started my career at PNG. and um, and before that I was pre-med and convinced I wanted to be a doctor and that is all I was going to do. But I hated doctors that didn't have like the real life business experience in terms of how to run a practice. And I said, you know what, let me just go Test this out for a couple of years and I can always go back to med school and it's fine. And I feel like I've never turned back. I've never looked back. And so that is I still, wild. Yeah, That's
1: it is wild. Bad. So, you did you know what type of doctor you wanted to be?
2: Oh, yes. I was going to be a pediatrician, hands down.
1: Wow. But you wanted the mm-hmm. business experience prior and then
2: you ended up never going back. So, tell me about that. So, you went into business. I did. So, I actually, undergrad, I majored in business and uh, chemistry was a pre med. So, I did all my classes fulfill all of what I needed to be able to take the MCAT and apply and all of that good stuff. And then just happened to intern at P&G the summer of my junior year and absolutely just fell in love with it. And the experience was so great that I wanted to go back for a couple of years and kept telling myself, I can always stop after two years and change my mind. I think this story is so fascinating. What was it that appealed <laughs> to you? What did you love
1: about it that really felt like something you didn't want to leave?
2: Well, you know, so I had just like taken a biology class. It was, I can't even remember what class it was. And I had spent so many hours memorizing, memorizing everything. And I felt like all I was doing was regurgitating information. And I know that's not at all what medicine is all about, but uh, my internship was all about solving these problems. And it was very open-ended. And I, I got to think very strategically about what I wanted to do and why I wanted to do it. And it just gave me this energy that I hadn't felt when I was sitting there with some of the books that I had and trying to figure out what I needed to learn in order to like, you know, regurgitate this information. And and I think that gave me so much freedom and energy that I couldn't resist not going back.
1: I love it. It's like the interpreting of information versus the memorization of information. I, I love yes, that. Exactly. I love it. Okay. So you got to p Now you never want to leave. You're so happy. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, well, what's funny is that I started, I remember my very first day, and there was these folks that had been there for a while, and they were telling me that they only intended to be there for two years, so, right, like, I went in thinking, I'm only going to be here for two years, and that is it, I am leaving, and so I'm hearing these stories of people that have been there 10, 12, 15 years, and they said to me, like, I was going to be here for two, and I just kind of got roped in. I distinctly remember my thought being like, God, you chumps? Like, I'm never going to do that. I, of course, I'm never going to end up in that place. And the next thing you know, I'm there for 12 years, and I'm that one telling the same exact story.
1: <laughs> wow. So you ended up staying, and you had a lot of change within that time, right?
2: I did. Yeah. So I was there for 12 years. I spent about five of them in market research and um, the remaining in marketing. And so I started on Olay and this is before it was the Olay that it is today it was before it was a billion dollars. It was right as it was transitioning into a really major brand. Uh, I spent my first two years doing market research on facial cleansers, trying to launch some new products in North America, China, and Western Europe. And I did that, loved it. I just thought it was, you know, for a twenty some year old to have that experience and travel everywhere and have that kind of impact in the business was something that was very motivating. And after that, basically I had gotten engaged and so my my entire career is a mix between my personal life and my career. And those so are the best types of stories, by the way. Exa- exactly exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's why I was like, I've hopped around so much. So, you know, I was in Cincinnati and uh, my fiance at the time was like, there is no way I'm ever moving to Cincinnati. And so we'd identified a bunch of locations, and San Francisco was one of them. And he was in in tech. He was a software engineer. And I was so fortunate that P&G had a job come up, which is very rare, because, you know, a lot of things, most of the things are in Cincinnati. Cincinnati, um, Exactly. And so there was a job that came up in San Francisco working on doing customer marketing for a customer team, Safeway, Albertsons, and H-E-B. And on the grand spectrum of what you could do from a marketing standpoint, I started an innovation, um, on one end of the spectrum. And this was the day-to-day business of a customer on the very other end of a spectrum, which I knew nothing about. And I knew nothing about the in-between. Um, I hadn't been working long enough, but it was definitely one of the best experiences that I've ever had that I never want to do again. So, um,
1: it sounds like something you just jumped, you just jumped into doing it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I learned so much being on that customer team. I mean, we got to work with a lot of the senior managers that Safeway was undergoing this huge equity change at the time. Like, I got opportunities at a really young point in my career um, with senior management that I never would have gotten. I, I feel very fortunate. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like I learned how to present. I feel like I learned how to tell a story from pieces of data, like things that you could be taught in a classroom, but you never really excel at until you had the practice of doing it in real life. Absolutely. So it was great. I mean, that was fantastic. I think, you know, what P&G does really well is they believe in a variety and a breadth of experiences. And so every two to three years, people do tend to move around. And I had been on that customer role for about three years or so. And what I found that I loved was that I was in a very narrow field within P&G. So it was market research. It was one aspect of the business. And so I am definitely the kind of person that likes to have my Hands in the pots. I like to see the entire picture, and that is what I got to do on that customer role. And so what I realized I wanted was I didn't want to just do market research. I actually wanted to be able to like see the entire picture and create the strategy and figure out what we wanted to do and make a decision, not just influence the decision. And so I decided to go into brand at the time, which was pretty unusual because typically you know brand only hires after you've got your MBA and. I thought to myself, like, I could go back to get my MBA or I could go ahead and apply to brand here. And the reality was, if I went back to school, my ideal and dream job was going to be at P&G Marketing. And so I said, you know, why not? And I was, again, like, fortunate enough. My husband and I wanted to move back to the East Coast. We grew up there. And I found this job to be an ABM or assistant brand manager on the cosmetics business. And I thought to myself, I was like, "What girl doesn't want to do marketing for a cosmetics company? Like, it sounds of fantastic. Of yes, course, you know, it sounds just so glamorous." And actually, it was. I mean, it was one of my favorite assignments. I did all of my assistant for manager roles on Max Factor and Cover Girl. And Max Factor was declining at the time. It's a, it's a huge global brand, but in North America, we had just lost about. 60% of our distribution. And so the challenge was like, how do you continue to grow this brand in that huge realm where, you know, you only have one major customer. It was a very challenging sort of role, but just, it was fantastic. It was a restage of the brand. It was very exciting. We had a very small, dedicated, passionate team of people that were working just to want to keep this brand afloat. And we actually grew, we lost 60% of our distribution, but actually grew that brand that year. And I feel like that's something that's unheard of in, it's a in our world. huge
1: deal. Huge, huge yeah. deal. And it also sounds like you found your home within brand management.
2: Absolutely. Like, this is what I was meant to do. I just feel very comfortable in it. I love taking pieces of data and pieces of input and putting together a story and figuring out what we need to go do next. It's just a huge passion area of mine. And I think brand is a perfect fit for that.
1: Incredible. So you were on the cosmetic mm-hmm. side.
2: I was. And then, so I, I did match up and then I launched helped launch. Of course, there's a team of people that did this, Uh, CoverGirl and Simply, or Olay Simply Ageless is one of the foundations. It was a co-branded effort, of course. And so it's still out in the market with Ellen, I think was the spokesperson when we first launched it. And uh, it's still doing really well from what I've heard. But so I guess, you know, my personal and career, essentially, my husband, when I was working had decided he wanted to do something different he wanted to make a career change and he applied to business schools and he was actually in business school in Atlanta at Emory and I had stayed up in Baltimore at the time because I just felt like I had silenced my perfect job I wasn't ready to leave it the economy wasn't great anyway and so it's not like there was a ton of jobs open and ironically he actually got an internship with P&G as well and so when we left Cincinnati, we said, there is no, or when I left Cincinnati, I said, there is absolutely no way I'm ever making it back to Cincinnati. And the next thing you know, he's got an internship there and I'm, you know, taking a job in Cincinnati as well. So that was my next That's step. I amazing. got amazing. Yeah. So you both came back to Cincinnati to P&J. Yes, which is so weird because he was a software engineer when I met him. You know, he was not a marketing person, but wow, um, funny how that works out.
1: Wow. He must have really so. loved what you were doing. <laughs>
2: He did. I was like, wait a minute. Did I tell you too much about it? Yeah. (laughs) What is that? (laughs) Okay. So he ends up there and you end up there and I end up there. Yes. And it was great. I worked on, um, it was a promotion into a personal healthcare role. It was something that was new. It was an innovation job at a very upstream white space innovation role. So we were basically trying to figure out what brand, how do you launch, Digestive wellness—it was a very sexy product, of course. But into <laughs> Brazil, Russia, India, and China, and I got the opportunity to redo our consumer segmentation, our brand equity architecture. These are things that you know with established p and G brands, you never get the opportunity to do. Wow. Uh, but again, like I feel very much in my career, right place, right time for a lot of things, and I feel so unbelievably fortunate to have gotten that skill set and learned it. I traveled around the world in that job. It was before I had kids. So it was great. I had no problem picking up and leaving. And it was just a very interesting sort of role. A category, of course, wasn't as sexy as cosmetics, but interesting nonetheless. But the work, it sounds
1: like the work was really incredible. So you got to do work that you wouldn't ordinarily be able to do in those categories.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was awesome. It was awesome foundational like how to build a brand and what's important and what do you think about and it's lessons that I have learned and kept, you know, with everything that I do in terms of how you're actually wanting to grow something.
1: Wow. I love it. Yeah. Tell me what was next. So i on next? the edge of my okay, seat.
2: So, I know <laughs> I, I love like, it. So after that so again, like the P&G basically had at the time, I'm not sure how they do it now, but they had two types of brand roles. They had innovation roles and then they had current business uh, P&L management. Yep. And so I'd done the innovation roles. My next stint as a brand manager was to kind of run a current business. And so I worked on the oral care business. I started on Oral-B floss and Six events. It was all your traditional brand management things, the P&L, agency management, strategy, innovation, all of that good stuff. I had a baby in between my first one and I came back to run Crest White Strips as the brand manager. And about a year later, my husband and I at the time had been looking to like, well, I shouldn't say at the time, I guess for a few years, we had been looking to get back to Atlanta. His yep. family is in South Carolina and mine is in Florida. And we just like, you know, with a little baby, like a lot of people do, you just want to get closer to home. And I loved p and I have nothing bad to say about it. It's a great company. Oh, well, you had so C- much
1: <laughs> of your career there. That's amazing. Exactly.
2: Exactly. But I was like, but unfortunately it's in Cincinnati and that just wasn't a place we wanted to be. So yep. he found a job in Atlanta. And I was very fortunate. I mean, literally within two weeks of him finding a job, I got offered a role at Coca-Cola in their venturing and emerging brands group. And what I found fascinating about it is that, you know, I felt like at p I'd had so much good experience. And I felt like I got to, of course, I could have moved to different brands and bigger brands and had more responsibility. But I felt really good about the breadth of experience I was really able to get. And I felt like it was everything from innovation to current business to customer to strategy to market research. And what venturing and emerging brands did was offer an opportunity unlike anything I had ever done. Wow. And it was working with these entrepreneurs and figuring out what was new in the market. and How do you actually build these small brands and get them to be successful in, in a big company? And I love new challenges. And it was something that I just absolutely could not pass up. It was unlike any other thing that I had ever seen. And I loved the idea of it and the thought of what they were doing.
1: What an incredible opportunity. That just sounds like the the best job ever. Like you're getting that entire entrepreneurial experience by speaking to these young entrepreneurs who have built these Uh businesses and then helping them grow, you know, kind of with this incredible leadership from the Coca-Cola company is amazing. I have a quick question for you just about your overall career and and listening to the themes. When you talked about, you know, feeling really fortunate and these wonderful things, do you feel like the positions as you grew through P&G... The positions mm-hmm. kind of just came up and you were tapped for them, or did you actively pursue them, or was it a combination of both? Because I have a lot of young listeners uh, who are within you know, these larger organizations and are looking to grow their careers. Was it something that mm-hmm. you pushed for and actively sought out, or were you tapped? Mm-hmm. Was it a combination?
2: I think it's a combination of both. I definitely, you know, have a and I I hate to throw this out a lot, but like I grew up in a very traditional Indian household and I was told, you know, you kind of wait and you don't really push and and ask, you know, or rock the boat. But yep. I think in the corporate world, that's just not the case. If you sit around and wait to get tapped for something, I think what's going to happen is you get frustrated as other people get opportunities that, you know, you could have gotten or that you don't get like, you know, people aren't mentors are a big thing, like job advocacy is a big thing. And so I think that it was such a combination of me saying that I was ready to go or that here's what I was looking for and being very clear about that, as well as making sure I had the right networks that when things were available, that they were able to pull me.
1: Absolutely. I love that. And I actually, you know, you said something earlier that indicated that same sort of thinking, which was that to go to the ABM position, a lot of times people needed an MBA and you either could have pulled out and Mm -hmm. gone to school or just pushed forward within the org. And I loved how you pushed Mm -hmm. forward. It's actually a lot of women wait. We talk about this a lot is that. Ah, uh, men will apply for a job if they meet sixty percent of the qualifications, yes. whereas women, you know, need a hundred percent to feel confident. Absolutely, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. it, it's really—I love that part of your story too. Okay, so now here you are. So you go to these emerging brands and you end up at Honest Tea. So tell me a little bit mm-hmm. about your role there and what you're doing today.
2: Sure thing. So I've been on a brand for four years since I've been at Coke, and my job was so—you know—brand manager or senior brand manager, or whatever it was. But my initial real job, like what I did on a day-to-day basis was really much more of a consultancy role. And so mm. the business operated out of Bethesda, Maryland, all of the cross-functionals and the founder were there. And so really, as I came on in Atlanta as part of Coke and not as honest, I was much more of a, hey, here's some things you can think about. Like you had to develop those relationships and get people to maybe think differently. And this was a really hard lesson for me, right? Because like P&G essentially teaches you that brand is center of the world And you just give your opinion and you state your opinion. And what I'm learning about a lot of these smaller brands, these entrepreneurial brands is that you can't come in like that. Like You absolutely need to take the time to understand the culture and understand the people and understand why things operate the way they do. And that was a very hard lesson that I feel like I learned the first six months on the job, but a great one. And I I wish someone would have told me that earlier. That I think that as you consult and as you put out your ideas, I think they have to be based. And making sure that people feel like you hear them and you understand kind of the struggles that they've got. And so I spent probably the first like 18 months or so really doing more long term strategy, like where can honest go, trying to uh, work with the founder to see if that's something that he wanted to do and much more of an influencing role. Mm -hmm. But over time, what's happened is that the brand is pretty had been bought by Coke for quite a few years and so I think it was at a point in time where we really needed to leverage the bigger system of Coke to grow the brand and to get more support. It couldn't just be very isolated and run in a very independent situation. Yes. And so I started as a founder, kind of was ready to move on to more of an advisory role. I got a lot more of the day-to-day responsibility of the brand, which is much more like my traditional brand management roles at P&G but so much better. Like this is by far my most favorite job. I can't imagine leaving it, although I'm sure I, I, I will have to at some point, but I love it. It's, it's one of these things that has just such a great culture and such a unique spirit about the brand and having to work with people across Bethesda and Atlanta and it's be an entrepreneurial sort of environment within a big corporate culture and trying to bridge that. It's a very challenging job, but a very rewarding one. And just I love working with people that are so passionate, and I think that's who I deal with on a day-in and day-out basis.
1: I absolutely love this part of your story, and I know that Honest Tea has had a really interesting approach um, to their marketing efforts. In fact, I was looking at, Mm -hmm. was this the second year that you did it, the Refreshingly Honest campaign, or was this the first year? I feel like I saw it the year prior.
2: Yeah, we dabbled in it, I yep. would say, last year. And we've had the tagline for a bit, but never really done anything with it other than use it as a tagline. And I think last year we started playing around with it, but we really had a true integrated campaign for the first time this year.
1: So tell our listeners who may not have seen this incredible campaign a little bit about Refreshingly Honest and how that sort of tied into honesty social strategy as a whole.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll I'll give you just a quick background. So I remember when I had my first child, I, it was a little bit later. I'd been married for a while and I had been around little kids, but never around kids that were under the age of six months. And yep. all I remember thinking, right, was that, oh my gosh, it's so glamorous and babies are perfect. And my life is going to be just so great. And story back in that, I was so judgmental against those moms that are letting their kids cry. And and i i remember having that child and the first 6 months he had colic And it was disastrous. It was a nightmare. The worst. Yeah, it was a nightmare. And I was like, why didn't anyone tell me about this? Like, why wasn't anyone honest with me? Because everyone pretends like their life is perfect. And and I think that's the crux of the campaign. So if you think about refreshingly honest, it's that we are all very normal people. Yet what social media has done is made people seem like they've got these perfect lives. And there's this huge movement. A lot of brands are doing this now. But I think if you look at, like what our brand is all about our brand is honest and our brand is about doing things that other people haven't been able to do before and being honest about them and using authenticity and real ingredients and all of that stuff and we're like how do we translate that to the social world and if you think about being refreshingly honest it's that like what are the truths of being a young mom what are the truths of having this lifestyle what are things that you wish you would have known that you really probably should have been honest about instead of acting like your life was perfect. And I think social is a perfect manifestation of how that can come to life.
1: Incredible. And so you did, I mean, I love all of the videos and all of the content around these sort of honest conversations that take place <laughs> um, and that should between friends and family members. It's it's really, really great stuff. Tell me a little bit about when honesty takes an approach to social – um, what are you looking to achieve? Is this How do you measure the success of what you're doing in social? Is it reaching the right people? Is it engagement? Give me a little bit of what represents success to you.
2: Yeah, I think we are learning. We're still a young brand. And I think I'm a big believer in testing and learning and dabbling and figuring out what works and trying to amplify that the, the next year. And so I'd say that ultimately, of course, our goal is to drive sales like any other brand. But if I yep. think about from a social Standpoint. I think engagement has really been key. Like, how many people can we get talking about this? Is our engagement up versus last year, or is it not? Are our impressions up versus last year? And and I think what we realize and are very honest, uh, no pun intended, actually, um, <laughs> with ourselves with ourselves about is that we, because we're still a young brand, we don't have that network we don't automatically have that following. And so how do we really tap into the people that believe the same things that we do in a very authentic way to leverage their network to get us our message out further?
1: Absolutely. I love it. And Ami, mean, tell me a little bit, I know um, that you mentioned that you're a mom of two and you mm-hmm. are you know, kind of working in the marketing space for a long time. You've seen it change over time. You obviously work on a brand that's very entrenched in social and all of these things. How social, in terms of social media social, are you uh-huh. when you get home? Like when you <laughs> get home, do you want to shut it off? Are you on it? What's your network of choice? Tell me a little bit about your own personal social behaviors.
2: Oh my gosh. So I, you know, I work with a bunch of millennials and I yep. joke all the time. I, I love them all. But I joke that I was like, I'm the old one. Like, what does this hashtag mean? And I I never thought I'd be that person, but I am that person. And it makes me feel so old. But I was with my nephews this weekend and I, and it drives them crazy because it's with their friends. And I was like, guys, I'm on the Snapchat now. And so, you know, they just like roll their eyes. But, but in all seriousness, I, I probably was a much bigger social media user when it first started. Yes. And I think like many people, I just found myself scrolling with people's pictures. And I started like, I I don't, I like basically cut off. And I think as I, our campaigns are much more social, I find myself wanting to learn a lot more. I'm on it, but more from a brand standpoint versus like a personal usage standpoint. And it's definitely changed. I mean, with two little, little kids that suck up all my time, I feel like my time is either work or it's them. And I have less time to kind of do some of the things that I had done before. And I'm actually pleasantly very okay with that.
1: Yeah, I think that we've seen that a lot in terms of a trend of, of kind of the pulling back. And I think one of the reasons actually ties back to your refreshingly honest campaign, which is, I talk about this all the time, that there's like a highlight reel. You're looking at everybody's like perfectly Instagrammed life, and you you kind of yes. end up feeling a little bad about your yourself. And it's exactly. Like, like you're like, what am I doing wrong? You're like, that I what's don't have the time deal? to make you
2: perfect.
1: Exactly yes, exactly. yes. 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 So I think that that totally ties in really well, actually, with your campaign, and that's amazing. <laughs> and so, so I mean, if people want to connect with you, if they hear the podcast mm-hmm. and they think you are as awesome as I think you are, and want to connect, <laughs> where is the best place to do so?
2: Well, that is a great question. I would say probably Instagram. So what I'll say is you can find me anywhere, but you will not find anything about me. So I was like, I've got a Facebook profile on Instagram and all that stuff. I'm rarely posting, but I would say Instagram is probably my place of choice. Um, okay. But in LinkedIn, of course, I am always happy to connect with people. I talk to folks all the time that just randomly reach out on LinkedIn. Um, and I'm probably on that more than anything else.
1: Awesome. And what's your favorite network presence for honesty?
2: Oh, I. That's a really good. It's question. like choosing a baby. Um. Yes, and so you know, it's funny. Like I think as a platform, Instagram is probably my favorite, but I think for the campaign, Facebook, as outdated as it's becoming, there's still a lot of people on it, and I oh, think that sure. is still where people are, you know, engaging in conversation. And so I think really, if we're wanting to get people to. Post and talk, I think Facebook is probably still right for us.
1: For sure. Well, Ami, thank you so much for being on the show today. You are one fabulous
2: social lady. Thank you so much. This was great.
0: You've been listening to all the social ladies with Carrie Kerfin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kerfin. To get current social media insights and great tips, sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likable.com. This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likable.com.